Hello and welcome to your review for the... F- <laughs> Start that again. It's sometimes because I know that I'm having to say tomorrow's day. It just uh, slips my head around a little bit. Uh-uh. Hello and welcome to your review for the 31st of January 2023. I'm your host as always, Graham McKay, and I'm joined by the illustrious Christian Wolf. How are you, Christian? I'm well, Graham. Well done on getting tomorrow's state right. So tomorrow's had, had, date correct today. Yes. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's kind, of, kind of bands mishap that happened when we tried to start reviewing it quickly. No, I'm well, Graham. How are you? I mean, I was better until you re- revealed my unprofessionalism. Um, yeah. And I mean, I guess you've 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 let people in the know that this is not freshly podded the morning that they receive it. I mean, it's pretty fresh. It's pretty late at night. It feels like at night. Yeah. So speaking of fresh, <laughs> how are the kids, Christian? Um, one is fine. The other one's been throwing up. So if it is only a ten minute podcast, that's why. Because I've had to go clean it up. But you know, <sighs> that's that, that's the kind of living on the edge podcasting we do late at night. And maybe maybe I'll vomit as well, just so you can get it in both that's, both uh, your words. There's yeah. a joke, joke there about my opinions. But let's let's get to it. And I, I have been asking for your advice this week because I'm going to be doing a wee driving tour of Norway in March. So you you spoke to your your stepdad and he gave you what can I mean? It's the most Christian Wolf type thing ever. You asked him for some recommendations and he gave you a day by day tour of three full pages of A4. And we're not even blood related. So I don't. And he's he's been my stepdad since I was what. 20 officially um, well it must be in the late 20s but um, yes I don't know if you know if it's just something in the family in, in the household that's led to this but yes I mean he's, I knew he, he I knew he would jump he's you know mostly retired and he's pretty much driven every single road in Norway I think so he's, he's giving you two pages day by day and not only is named the roads, right? So I, I've, I've still to translate this fully inside the way too, but like day four, take E14, which mm-hmm. is the Europe way 14, 26 miles west. Then take E8, 12 miles north. So it's, I mean, screw the sat now and stuff like that. Just have Gyre Fleedals uh, printed. You see, you see you like, this might be big in Germany. See, like the the um, the rally, rally cross driving. See mm-hmm. when they have like the you know, have the map reader. Mm-hmm. That that can be you too. You can basically sit and read this off, and you can do it in probably two days because it's it's so detailed the map. So um, I might end up crashing the car if I'm trying to do that at the same time as driving. But uh, we can... I, I've been hinting towards the fact that obviously they have this cabin outside of uh, Lillehammer, and that mm-hmm. is a good first stop. So I've kind of been hinting that maybe I'll just. You know, Graham and Kirsten will come and spend the night there. So, who knows? And get the the wolf hospitality well, from your parents. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a bit of skiing. So, well, let's see. Yeah, so that's I think that's enough bants for this week. So let's let's move uh, swiftly on. Uh, we are hot in the heels of playing Dundee United, despite the fact that uh, I think we got an XG of two point nine one. And despite the fact that we were quite comfortable in the game, 
It, it felt as if, and I think this is something that was kind of um, echoed on the agenda as well with Alan. I think it was a, it felt like a comfortable match where we basically did enough and just kind of like, you know, that way you're fighting a wee guy and you just put your hand in their head. We didn't, we didn't get out of second gear. We didn't break any sweat. Is that, is that fair to say from a kind of like, obviously you've watched the game back and you, you've, you've examined some video footage of it and stuff and you, you've got some things to say about our right hand side in particular, but is it just down to the right hand side or do you think it was just a case of Celtic just doing enough to get, get, get us over the line? I think there's a few things that would put a lot of context on it, I think, in terms of, I think, I guess in a lot of games we've been kind of going, I think maybe throughout the season, we've been going, oh, yeah, it's not quite clicking, but there's comfortable wins. I mean, you can only look at the league table to kind of <laughs> look at that as well. You can look at advanced stats where, where Celtic are, have a clear gap between themselves and opposition. And a lot of it, I think Dundee United yesterday is, is, is a good example because, yes, I don't. I think there is... Alan, I think, used to phrase, used to phrase playing inside themselves, you know. Was, um, I think that's a good description because the machine is ticking over. It's not working quite well, but it's the Celtic kind of machine is so overwhelming that even in these kind of games, we break them down you know, from tactical perspective and say, oh, you know, the defensive block is causing Celtic some problems. They still run out winners. And I think that one of the one of the main reasons why they do that is that they completely nullify the other team's attack in all of these games. And I think it's slightly self-inflicted maybe from um, the view of the position because they know they have to be so focused offensively. Mm-hmm. And that's not just sitting low, but it's doing everything right. And, you know, a lot of them set up on this 2-3-5 block and, and we've talked, we've given a lot of credit to teams like St. Marin, Kilmarnock, imagine, to saying, okay, this, they're trying to do things and they're effective for a lot of the game. But then you look back at the game and you, you look at the stats that you do there and say, like, they hardly have shots on goal, right? Yeah, against, and I think, so there's partly maybe because they have to do so much work defensively, but also because of the Celtic machine in terms of keeping the ball, the movements are always there, they keep going, they keep going well. So, I think in the context of us looking at games like these and saying, ah, was, was it a good game or not? It is within that setting that <laughs> the other opposition can hardly lay a glove on, on Celtic. I don't think that's been the case that much before, Ange, as well, because you, you have games where Celtic has got great shot, but you kind of felt a sense of unease with opposition, maybe. And there's been very few games this season, even in kind of games like... We've been waiting for a goal where you say, oh, every time an opposition kind of attacks, there's a danger there. So I think that's the kind of context of this, of, you know, coming here and slightly criticising Celtics playing a best, criticising some of the players. It is still within that, this machine, <laughs> you know, as I like to call it now, is so overwhelming for most opposition. So they, they can kind of focus all the work defensively and they can frustrate Celtic to a degree for good periods of the game, but not the whole game. But in the end, it's just, you know, and you know, I don't like the league table that much, Graham, but mm-hmm. in this case, I don't think it's lying because mm-hmm. it's, it, that is the way Celtic is playing. And while it doesn't feel that it's fissing all the time offensively, they are overwhelming teams uh, within that. So I guess, you know, I'm going to try and lead into 
some kind of analysis on it. But for me, it's been more, this is working so well domestically, what Celtic is doing. And the system is working so well that it's it's complete domination. I think what we might have to try and maybe to justify our own criticism of Celtic a little bit is it's working well domestically. It's overwhelming teams domestically. But is it getting itself ready for A, the derbies, and B, next season in Europe, essentially? Do you think there's a... So do you think Ange would be expecting us to be using these games as kind of like rehearsals for derbies? Or do you think it's a case of he would be expecting us to be basically taking rest points when we can? And like this game could have been regarded as a rest point from like the 50th minute onwards? I think Ange will say he'll he's just going to play the same way anyway. And and the fundamentals are always there. But it comes, it, Celtic can try and play the same way against Real Madrid away, against the United away. But I and, and I know this is sharp analysis. They're not facing the same type of teams, mm. right? <laughs> no matter how much you try to play your own game, if you face a low block, a 2-3-5 low block, every single week in, week out, you're not going to get that practice in the same way as if you had, God forbid, four or five teams like Rangers in the league that were really close to you, uh, you know, quality-wise, and had showed more of the tactical, I guess, setup that you would face in Europe. So it's, it's only to a certain degree you can do that. And and I think I actually alluded to yesterday in terms of you are getting to the point of the season now that, you know, as Alan said in the agenda, you start counting games mm. and you keep doing what you need to do to get to the league title and get yourself in position for the Champions League next season as well. So I think we'll probably come onto this with a few other players, but even though the team is ticking now and is ticking over and is doing what it needs to do domestically because we're nine points ahead specifically, I I don't if that specifically means that great league season will mean you're gonna see the same team next season, even the same the same type of formation next season as well. Because I'm just kind of hinted slightly towards that as well with some of the new players gives them some flexibility to do something a little bit different than, you know, the very straightforward 4-3-3 that he's been setting up since he got here. So we have got 15 games left and there are a couple of points I want to take on there. I mean, we've we've mentioned it before when talking about a club like Copenhagen. Copenhagen don't get the same challenge uh, week to week in the league that they do in Europe, but they seem prepared for it season on season. Uh, Ajax don't get the same. I mean, I saw the result the other day. I think they won 9-0 at home against a league opposition. So, uh, I mean, Dynamo Zagreb, there's there's plenty of clubs throughout world football. So, is it a case of we need to be setting ourselves our own personal challenges when it comes to these matches. I mean, we're, we're basically facing a 5-3-2 every single week now. It's, it's nothing like what we're going to be facing in Europe. So how does that, How does a manager of Celtic kind of balance that the way that uh, RB Salzburg has done? Because obviously they don't have the same challenge in the league. What is it that you need to do to make sure that you're you're dealing with the league as it comes along, but you're preparing your, your, your squad for the European adventures? Well, I'm not an expert on the Danish, Croatian, Dutch, or Austrian league. Weird. I don't think, yeah, I know. I don't think any of those teams have the same 
gap in style, though, between how much to dominate domestically and what to come up with in Europe. I, I think it is quite unprecedented in terms of at least within the 15, 20 leagues that Celtic is comparable to, that you have to switch so much in terms of that. So I, I, you can only do so much, I think, with that opposition. And I think actually it's doing what he needs to do. He is, he is very, you know, dogmatic that you need to play this the same way in Europe or have like all the same fundamentals, you know, keep the ball, um, keep the ball with the team, do the same kind of movement, uh, pressing all the, you know, very high up intensively. I think when you have that such difference in opposition, you have to try to do the same things domestically as well. I think the issue with all Celtic has always been that you can get away with so much more domestically that you can't in Europe. And it I makes think, you lazy, maybe? You're not even lazy, but unpracticed, if that's a word. If you say, I mean, yeah. you, know, in, you know, so, but yeah, it, it creeps into, um, I hate to mention it, but but look at like Christopher Ayer, for example. Like, I think, I think what he was trying to say when he's left is that it wasn't that the league was super easy, it's that you're not challenged all the time. So you kind of hone your skills, basically. I think there's a subconscious thing. Whereas you, if you don't have to be in full, I was going to say fight and flight mode all the time, subconsciously that must do something you do. And it's, 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 you know, to have that intensity of opposition. If you had that even a a little bit more, because Salzburg is probably a good example, but teams like Copenhagen and Ajax, so they will have it a little bit more. And then it comes back to, is, is Celtic done? Are we recruited correctly? Have they, you know, are they able to do all the other things in terms of football club structure to improve everything in the backroom style of analysis? Are they doing that as well as all the other clubs? I think they're hopefully getting better, but that's the other part of it. But I think that kind of, the difference in the style and quality you meet every week is such a big input on it. Is it is it because there's something said for the fact that maybe the, the plankton in Scotland are a bit more agricultural than the plankton in Holland, for example, and like for example, the the, the Dutch smaller teams wouldn't be playing this kind of backs to the wall, uh, long ball games that we see week in week out in Scotland, and that alone kind of like stops us from being able to practice our game so much. Again, like I'm not the expert, but it would surprise me a lot if that isn't the case to a large degree, whereas I think Scottish football is getting better, but it's the lack of curiosity that this weird kind of still... You know, Willie Miller's comments after the Aberdeen game is a really good example because there's too many foreign players. And it's that, that, <laughs> that mindset that's that not wanting to embrace... At least less agricultural, at least more of a, you know, there's so much safety first in terms of getting the ball up quickly. If you go see see the games, I kind of look through and Celtics like for, for the preview podcast and like, unless the team have played Rangers recently, I'm finding it so difficult because I hardly ever find passages of play where the other team tries to play out. I can see how the other team is pressing against it. It's, it's just. Oh, goal kicks go far. 
you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's it's hard to find those kind of patterns to play. I, I'd want to look into from the position to kind of say, okay, how are they going to set up against Celtic? Because the team Celtic is going to face, the teams they've been facing the games before, don't play anywhere near like Celtic. So, yeah, and about the, the general, see what Scottish football are, outside of Celtic and Rangers, in terms of the national team, uh, European competitions, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it is still... Scotland has talked about so many times before. Not, not taking in or wanting to develop the coaching and playing style in in a certain way that would benefit Scottish football. Yeah, I think that comes back to it. Definitely. So we'll, we'll kind of stick on this topic for a second before going back to Dundee United. But I just wanted to get your opinion on the manager that Aberdeen have been linked with from your home country. Baka, I think his name is, and he's from nice. Lillestrom. Pronounce his name again, please. Baka. And his first name? I forgot, is it Gare or Gare or something like that? The same as my stepdad, Gaira. Gaira, Gaira Baka. Gaira Baka. Um, so it's just what, just one of those names that I can, I can see there's certain Norwegian coaching names that linked abroad. You think, okay, it's always like Knutsen is one, you know, like we talked about the experience, kind of like Harrider. There's Sufrentes, who's a Spanish coach, coach in Norway, he's in Sweden now. But Gabak is one of those names. He's been like, he's been around for ages. He's been assistant managers. He's been coaching three or four different kind of teams. I think he's mid late fifties now. And Lillestrøm's like, Lillestrøm was in, he's coaching now, won the top tier for like forty years before they got relegated a couple of years back. He brought it back up. They had a really good season now. So yeah, he's, he's, he's but he's. It's not like he's a journeyman. He's like well respected. He's a good coach in Norway, but if it never seen being picked out from a club club abroad, maybe like a Swedish or Danish club, but it's, it's, it's a weird one. <laughs> it's kind of like seeing your stepdad getting linked to yeah. a job. Sc- yeah, so <laughs> it, it just didn't make sense. But I mean, it's, I have no idea if it's it'd be an interesting one to see someone like that who's been coaching in Norway for like 20, 25 years. It just suddenly transport into a different league and see what happens. Yeah, but you know, interest. And, and as as I always said, the more Norwegians in Scotland, I mean, really, the better for me. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sure. I'll get back to you after March. Um, but I think there's something. I, I know this is not an Aberdeen podcast, but I think it, it does impact on Celtic quite a lot, as we've just been speaking about here. The third biggest team in Scotland, as far as I'm concerned, you want to see them make a good appointment. You want to see them make an interesting appointment, not just going back to the same well over and over again, same names getting linked. I mean, the thing is, we were quite happy to see Hibs doing it with Sean Maloney, but the, how long did that, how long did they give him to, to uh, in, in charge? I bet Aberdeen as well with Stephen Glass. Stephen Glass, yeah. I, I mean, I would like to see like maybe... Uh, a Norwegian appointment. Even Scott Brown's getting linked, which is is quite interesting. I don't know if he would leave uh, Fleetwood uh, right now, but he's been linked. And I think by Barry Robinson is uh, Barry Robson, sorry, is the Bucky's favourite at two to one. The last time I saw. So you, you want to see it be interesting for the sake of you want a strong Aberdeen. That's I mean you want. <laughs> that's that's winning. Um, it's. Um... <laughs> That's what Culver Inches are saying. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Culver Inches? Culver Inches, can't remember. Uh, Hibs and Aberdeen are, are really big disappointments because they, they both supposedly had these changes to ownership that kind of 
wants to look at things differently. So I think it's just much deeper than just a managerial change. Like getting, you know, I was talking about my Guinness coming back up and stuff like that. And you go, but it's that safety first thing, you know, isn't it? But I think you have to have a fundamental buy-in into the whole process. You know, Aberdeen, yes, last year, Glass always wanted to play a different way. He's bringing in different players. And I think he was quote-unquote unlocked in terms of he, he wasn't really getting the XG gods on his side. But there, there was encouraging signs there and some of it in part. So I mean, much of that they stuck with him, giving the players he, he, they got in this season as well. Because they are quite interesting moves in the transfer market. And just kind of just stick it out. And at least... Oh, but at least then don't go to somebody with Jim Goodwin who's evidently just casting <laughs> the managerial into you. It's like, you're going to play attacking football? And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's, it's like he just it didn't have a clue how to set up Aberdeen against different teams and, and so on. And you showed how limited he was. And Sean Malone as well comes in. Don't have a great period of time at all. But it takes time. And I don't know if Sean Malone would have turned it around, but... I think it's silly to chop and change that. If you want to go a specific direction, you know, ideally you, you put the club on a path, you have a specific playing style. We've talked about this a lot before. You hone your recruitment around that and you keep a long-term vision in your youth academy and your recruitment. This is the type of football we want to play. And then you bring the manager in that could fit into that. So, yeah, no, it's, it's those hearts as well, Hibs and Aberdeen. They're all disappointing that they're not closer to Celtic and Rangers. I know there's a huge gap in the budget. It's still not. It's change, you know, mm. that, that, that they're dealing with, that they could be doing. And it's encouraging that they're doing a little bit different in the transfer market, but then they go and, and supposedly wanting to do a bit more around, you know, the background stuff and these ownership could talk a good game. And then they go and hire. Tim Goodwin and bloody Lee Johnson. And you go, must you joined up thinking there? Mm. I, I think you always have this thing about people don't understand or, you know, really rich people can be stupid or have not common sense. And I think, see, football club owners, it's, it's not different. Like, it is like, you, you, it's, look at Chelsea, look at all these examples, like having a lot of money and Having made it maybe an in industry doesn't mean you'll be able to go in and run a football club properly because these three clubs should be doing so, so much better. And it's almost for me, they have this safety blanket of, well, what can you expect? Salting Race has got so much more money than us. Mm. So, you know, it's if you get top six, essentially it's that. It's, it's bullshit. Mm. I mean, the, the, you know, a really well run club with Hibs, Hodge, Aberdeen's budget. They should be pushing Celtic and Rangers because let me tell you, neither Celtic or Rangers are operating at the full of their potential. It's not like there's some unstoppable juggernauts in terms of you just look at the last three, four years. That is clubs that are, I was almost going to say, especially Celtic, who's not at the maximum of their capability. And hopefully that's slowly changing. But I mean, the, the scope there to get a lot closer to Celtic Emirates. And I think it comes back to a lot of stuff, what we talked about there in terms of that safety first, they're happy to sign a lot of the same players. And if see if it doesn't work out with some of the foreign players, even though in Aberdeen's case, those foreign players have been the best players this season. And the team is predominantly uh, you know, Scottish, British, Irish still, you still get Billy Miller, who's like not nobody. I mean, in terms of Aberdeen pundits and, and presence. And like, does it 
really get any bigger than Willie Miller in terms of the media landscape. And he comes like, oh, too many foreign players. And you go, oh, come on, mate. So, you know, yeah. I, but I think either you're all in on it or you you hire Lee Johnson. So I think we can conclude that as the rest of the SPFL that are holding Celtic back when yes. it comes to Europe. I think yes. that is the conclusion. Especially everybody. <laughs> so we have equaled a, a record by having five clean sheets in a row now. And that record goes back to Neil Lennon uh, after he came in, uh, after the rat abandoned us. So five games after uh, Brendan Rodgers left in that season. Thanks thanks for saving us, Neil. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Uh, I know you were busy. So thanks. Thanks. For a manager that's been regarded as kind of flamboyant, when it comes to the way that we, way that he sets his team out, all attack. I mean, that's all we were getting when we, when we were appointing them. We we're going to lose all these goals. We we're maybe one game six five, etc. What do you put down this really really solid defence to? Why why are we giving up so few chances? Because we're so good in attack. I, yeah. I, I think I, I think that's it. I, you know, we touched upon it at the starter. It, it's so overwhelming that that Celtic machinery in terms of. The way players move, the play, the, the intensity that should be there, and a lot of the players are really good on the ball. Um, not all of them, but a lot of them. And I think you have to give up so much defensively, mentally, physically, tactically. I see if you get the ball, and if you if you are effective in forty five minutes against Celtic, what have you what have you to show for yourself? <laughs> really, uh, when it comes to you know, St. Mirren is the only team I think has kind of had the luck. And not the luck, but had the opportunity to, to kind of break and create something on the counter attacks. Um, and the Celtics conceded goals against other teams as well, but I, I think that's simply it. You know, it's, you know, I don't know if you heard this, Graham, but, you know, best form of defense is the attack. And I think that's mm. that's how this works as well. It's not, it maybe we sold like five trees and six, you know, fives and seven twos and stuff like that, but. See if you're just overwhelming in possession, and if you keep moving all the time within that, you're going to tire the opposition out. Especially if you have the kind of opposition you're facing as goal. So I think it's as simple as that. I thought Dundee United actually started again not too badly, and it looked as if like Fletcher and uh, Middleton were going to be a bit of a handful together. It was strange seeing that kind of big man, small man up front uh, once once more. Did you like that? Did you like that? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd prefer if they had four four two and wingers and stuff. But um, you you can go wherever you want with this. Uh, but you you did say beforehand you wanted to speak about the right hand side. <laughs> By the right hand side, we're talking about CCV being the right centre back. We're talking Aaron Moy being the right centre mid. We're talking Alistair Johnson being the right back. And we're talking Leo Bader being the right winger. So where do you want to go with that? It's just like a giant red flag for me. You know, so I I think with this, I am, I try to be very aware that, you know, we all talk about our own biases and the need, especially in geodalysis, to kind of try and challenge it. So, you know, I shared some videos with you as well. And Stephen, but me and Stephen also got to speak like tactics nerd group uh, from all over the world. Um, curated by you know John McKenzie. So I like the four videos that I sent you that there was just essentially the four videos are pretty much from like the last 10, 15 minutes of the first half at Nil Nil. Like Celtics so we're building up play within Dundee United's half. 
And to me, it was like a good example of some of the issues in terms of the build-up play because I've, I kept feeling it was just a little bit too slow, a little bit too indecisive, a little bit in terms of the movements not sitting, and it's and it's not anything particularly wrong. But as you say, as I've come back to that, say that uh, at the start, it just didn't click. And obviously, I'll I'll have. There's a lot of players on that right-hand side, which I've criticized before and I've had certain issues with before. So I essentially put those four videos I sent to you as well. You know, they're about one minute each in terms of that build-up play. And I said to that group, like, I'm sometimes, you know, afraid I'm just going blind on Celtic because I see it so many times, you know, you make your opinions up. You know, can somebody tell me what you see? And you got a couple of guys who's like, no, affiliation to Celtic as well and I think what they kind of put up is that when you show somebody Celtic they will say look all the movements are really fluid and there's always movements there's always something happening you can see it's doing but like myself as well I think in those kind of passages there was some issues with the right hand side and I think it's essentially a lot to do I think John called it like the wing dynamics of it so you have players like Abada and Johnston often very just ending up in the same passing lane out wide. And then Aaron Moy also drops out wide a lot as well. So so there's movements, but as you know, one of the guys said, it's basically a lot of the players getting in way of another. They're not occupying the opposition players. So it's so even with all that movement, it doesn't have any real effect on creating the space. Right. And, and I think that's you know, that's a for me. It was a good way of finding. There's people trying to do it. It's just the effectiveness of the movement, and for me, it also then comes back to the some of the the passing isn't crisp or it's a bit too safety first. So I, I I think when you get players like CCB Johnston Moy and Abada who all got elements of that in them, and they all got really good elements in them as well. But I think putting the four of them on the same side, you do end up with ineffective movement, you know, getting too close to each other, not challenging oppositions, you know, look too much. And obviously I'm, I'm a big fan of the, of the left-hand side anyway. And I don't think, I, I think, uh, for example, Greg Taylor was back in, I thought it, it was good, but it wasn't one of his absolutely best games. Um, but I think once you switch it to the left-hand side, there is a... There is a dynamism there, and there's maybe maybe because it's just more trained, ingrained in players like Taylor, Hatate, and Jota. A lot of them have been there from you know day one. Understand the system can create that. A very technically gifted players as well. So I just felt there was something getting stuck on the right hand side, which you know um, I think we kind of got confirmed if we try and show it to kind of other, other analysts as well. And there's, there's different things. It's like, for example, you also have, you know, the two number eights. They also move wide a lot to kind of create space for Kyogo to drop into. But then this isn't really then when Kyogo drops, there's nobody really pushing the opposition back line as well. And so that's what I kind of say, but you're still moving, right? And you're still overwhelming the opponent. But especially in the first half, it just wasn't very effective to me. And I think you see some of the issues on that was more on the right-hand side 
down the left hand side um as well just the random context at the end that pitch wasn't great either so that's things like that does help in as well but i think it's that ineffectiveness on the right hand side ironically is somebody who i chat a little bit about this on on twitter as well did point out me in, in ahead of the first goal um there's actually really you actually do get a really nice rotation and nice movement on the right hand side because it's um a batter comes in, Moy drops out to get the cross. But if you look behind it, especially you can see it on the replay, Alistair Johnson makes a really nice run into the half space. And I think that was a lot that was really missing in the first half as well. And that's the kind of run you can see Rianovic doing as well. So you had actually in that moment in the second half, you know, you managed to pull the blocker with um you know, the United block was kind of a bit more over on the, um, the right-hand side. And you did have that nice rotation. So I think it's something they're trying to do. And of course, Moy didn't hit uh, Justin Moy to cross in the end, but that was a nice rotation. So I think it's something, especially something like Johnson will be trying to, to work on and trying to get into the system and, and, and there. But I do think when you have CCV's ball distribution, Moy's movement and Johnson's you know, still learning that system a lot. And then the issues we always talked about with Tabata, they all put them together on the right-hand side. It was frustrating in the first half specifically. See, if you take like a, a football pitch and kind of look at it vertically and you, you take the, the halfway line to the right-hand side and if you put it into like four channels, four lanes of uh, positioning, where would you be expecting those four players to mostly be? If, if that makes sense to you. So just imagine that the the, the, le- the left lane is at centre circle all the way up to the opposition goal. And then you've got one to the right of that, one to the right of that, one to the right of that, and then you've got the byline, basically. Where would I you mean, be expecting those players to fit? If, is this too simple? I'm just trying to make it kind of explain can, it to listeners. I can't, I can't believe we didn't put it into the five. This is what the half space is about. This this is one-on-one tactics now, Drew Graham. There's, there's five vertical lines. Okay, you got the it's because there's four players, so I went with four. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think in essence, to keep it simple, what you want, you don't want too many players on the same line. Mm-hmm. Like that's not get into a proper hipster tactic discussion about you know, positionism versus relativism uh, and all that. I guess they do that unless you it, you know. it's, it's it's blowing up on tactics Twitter, uh, <laughs> um, but you have to go watch Fluminense in Brazil to get. Uh, I just don't. Of course, yeah. Um, so, so, but essentially. What you do getting is too many players on the same vertical line. So say there is five, one in the wing, one in the half space, which is the 18-yard box, the six-yard box, one in the middle of the pitch, uh, essentially, which is the the width of the six-yard box, and then on the other side. If you have too many players on the same line in those attacks, it becomes ineffective, right? What you had a lot, I think, if the newsletter is out yet, I don't know Stephen Marshall's newsletter, but he was going to speak about, see, especially when Matt O'Reilly came in last season, Matt O'Reilly and Juranovic was really good at changing places. So Matt mm-hmm. O'Reilly would go out to the wide, Juranovic was coming into the half space. And then, it, you know, remember the Rangers game, you know, the, the 3-0, Abada as well, uh, would have those rotations between them. You see it on the left-hand side, Jota, Taylor, and Tati. Look at them in terms of where they are. And you take the center line, the half space, and the wing. They're constantly changing, especially Taylor and Hatati. And it goes back to what you know. Some of these analysts says 
it's nice movement, but you have to challenge the opposition with your movement. They have to become effective. You, you don't want to arrive in the same spaces, stay in the same spaces for too long, especially when you're supposed to be on the same side anyway, because Abada and Johnson are a right back and a right winger. Having them both on the right wing is predictable. Now, if you bring Riyad Tati as a left center midfielder out there, that creates a different dynamic, even though you know we talked about these overloads and stuff like that. So I, I think it's not ending up on the same vertical line for too long. And, and you know, it's not essentially it's not challenging enough for the opposition. They're happy for you to stay out there or to keep a lot of players on the same uh, line and not too, more, too much movement between them. And as we talked about before, sometimes if you move into another player moves into that space as well, it could be good, but also you end up maybe drawing too many players into that space as well. I think that's happened a little bit when Aaron Moy comes out wide and so as well. So <laughs> you need to challenge the position with your movement and doing it in those, what happened in the first half especially, specifically wasn't, wasn't challenging enough really. So one thing on, on Stephen's uh, newsletter, and I just had a quick look at it before, wait, waiting for you to get on, on the call, basically, um, was that it looks as if Matt O'Reilly had been told to play slightly different this season and be much more central, probably because of the loss of uh, Tom Rogic, I would maybe guess. He was to be expected to be in a central area. Uh, the, the kind of passes received map would, would put him right on the edge of the 18-year box in, in a central position. Whereas the passing received map for Aaron Moy is essentially on the right wing. So that is clearly something that is, I, th- I can imagine it, it troubles you a little bit, but we're getting a lot of people saying, I've, I've seen talk of Aaron Moy as a, a player of the year contender. Uh, we've had Ange coming out and saying that he's been great since the World Cup. Is he just doing something that we're not expecting them to do, or like? Because I mean, as as if he's not performing the role as it was expected to be played, he's doing this other role. Then why can why is he coming across as great to so many different people? Are you are you trying to say that Ange Postecoglou knows more about football than me? Is that, is that what you're trying to hit towards? I mean, Ange did describe about Jack and Marcus is great a few times as well, so I don't really know. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, is Aaron Moy a player or the contender? No. He's, I think it's the clear front runner for me. So, but, um, so, so the Aaron Moy discussion, I, I, I think parallel for me is kind of Tom Rogic. Because I didn't think he was going to come in and replace Tom Rogic, but that's essentially what he's done in the squad. And what we talked about before this season was that Ideally, you kind of want Roderick one more season because then Matt O'Reilly can have essentially have the button. Yeah, and have that break, and then you can, you know, because he's still a young player, play 60 games, and you have somebody with Tom Roderick's skills to can maybe come in in 15, 20 games and, and then influence that. That would have been ideal in the squad looking back. I think Aaron Moyk has come in and done that job for, for Tom Roderick. So I think it, in that sense, it makes perfect sense that. Matt O'Reilly is out of the team some weeks and Aaron Moy, which is Tom Rorschach replacements, come in and, and and gets those minutes and and brings his skill to it. Because I don't think Aaron Moy's what he's doing now is it's miles away from what you kind of would expect Tom Rorschach to see Tom Rorschach do. You know, they have, you know, the technique, they neither of them have <laughs> great stamina. Um 
But overall, if, if you ask me, would you have Tom Roger Graham Moy in that role? This is now said Tom Roger every day of the year. Every, every day of the year. Um, and I, and in the sense with Moy's stat, I think my thoughts on him is made him quite clear before is that it's not that he's in any way a bad player. It's not in any way that he's have an is an above level, uh, you know, technique wise, creativity wise in the Premier League. His experience and all that. Like we comment, well, I guess I when I put up things things I don't really like or what Aaron Moy is doing, David Turnbull's doing, or other players like Abada. It's not. It's still within the context that he's, he's among the absolute best players in Scotland, and that he's more than good enough to dominate teams in Scotland. Mm. It's more for me that while he's good enough domestically, there's there's things I feel is missing, at least over a long period of games with Aaron Moy there, than if you compare it to say Matt O'Reilly or even last year with Tom Rodrick, right? Stephen has. You know, pointed out some things in the newsletter. I, that's you know, it's definitely worth reading. And <laughs> for me, you can. I think Sunday is a good example where if you have Aaron Moy and then Jota on the right and Juranovic behind you, you know, not that you carry him, but he doesn't need to be the perfect Celtic number eight mm. in that system. But I think when you introduce other things that isn't the perfect Ange winger, the perfect Ange fullback yet, and those kind of things, I think you kind of, if you add too many of those parts into the system, you can come unstuck. Again, it's the context of Celtic dominating Dundee United and getting an easy win in again. But for me, it's more than what happens when you face better teams. What happens when you go into Europe? And when you're doing a good job you know, fine job now to do it. There's so many, still so many things with, with Aaron Moy's performances that I go, oh, yes, it's fine. It's fine now, but you're not going to get away with this when you face better teams. And that, that's what it comes down to. Like, And then it comes a sense of when he scores goals and gives assists, it be a penalty. It's not, yeah. I'm sorry, I just sound terrible, but people brains get a bit fried by goals, okay? I have a running joke that I don't like goals, but also, like, I, I maybe I'm just not seeing it. Maybe I, you know, some people maybe say I don't want to see it, but if you look at Aaron Moy's performances yesterday in the first half up to that, and people talk about as man of the match, I, I don't think he was very good at all. Mm. You know, and that's, you know, it's not this is lots of bad things but he lost the ball he wasn't very I said his movement it was like all that wide he doesn't I mean it, it's not that he doesn't try to do this but his movement was ineffective I think he, you know passing he had to drop out wide a lot and add that together with Johnson and Abada and CC what we talked about just didn't work for me and he gets the cross if it's if he's does he mean the cross great if he does and he can do that and he's, he's a great penalty taker but and he's, he's you know Ash comes in and saying he's, he's doing great. I probably wouldn't go that far, but he's, he's doing his job in the squad. Mm. I love what we wanted Tom Rodriguez to do. And he's doing it well. But for me, I'm honestly, and I'm, hopefully I'm manifesting myself looking ridiculous now. I'm scared that Ange is going to play them against Rangers because I just, I'm yet to be convinced that he can essentially can, can influence that in the same way. And I'm scared in that you might be fine wanting there. 
And as, you might, again, you might be fine. You know, you played GG in the Darby's last season. You, you, uh, you know, two Darby's, you, you blown Rangers uh, away in, anyway. So Celtic is still a good enough team. But I, I guess it comes back. I just don't see it. I see what he does, but it's just, I see all the other things he, he doesn't do as well. And while it's working fine domestically for me, it's a non-starter next season. Hmm. It really is. So let's talk about O. Uh, what did you oh. make of his cameo? Ten minutes, I think he got. Um, should have should have had an assist. I don't know what Maeda was doing at the back post there, but that was a beautiful, beautiful cross. It, I think for people that didn't spend much time looking at him before he signed, I think people were maybe a bit surprised by his like size, his athleticism. Athleticism. We weren't surprised because we, we specifically said the size last week. Our, our research we do on this on this podcast. I even had like my, my friend that I used to go to games with. He actually texted me just before the game, asking to find out about what what, what kind of player he was. What did do you, you sell my subscription? I tried. Yeah. What, what did you make of him, and what, what do you think his role is going to be? I I'm. Pleasantly, not surprised, but I'm, I'm pleased that he's in the squad and playing already. Mm-hmm. Because that, that tells me that, you know, as we talked about before, and just specific intentions with him. And yeah, I know. I, I liked it. I, I think based on what we've seen so far, it's kind of what you expected. You know, he is he's a good size. He's, he's got good speed. He's, he's got that intensity about him. Um, and, and he wants to play it at that pace. So, which I think if you're going to come in and do a job when Kyogo goes off, I think what you saw that very early days, you'll get a bit more about Kyogo is. Whereas when you brought Gigi on, you brought in something completely different. And that, you know, it was very effective at times, but you didn't bring on another Kyogo. All right. You, you did change style. I, so I think the kind of stuff we've researched about and what we've seen so far is that you'll get a little bit more of a Kyogo, but it's not like that identical. You know, it's got different skills. I think, as I said before, I think he'll probably need to work on composure and you know, shot selection, not like took any silly shots yesterday, but you know, that eagerness might need needs to be um channeled. But yeah, it's it's promising, isn't it? And it's promising that he's he's now the second choice striker and that already. And I like that because we kind of tried to predict the future and say, look, this is, seems like a guy that 18 months down the line you can see him Celtics first choice striker. That's kind of what you want to do, Gamma, because Kyogo will be pushing 30 then. He might, you know, he could even be gone by then. But so if you have oh, and he's already getting minutes. If he's getting GG minutes, he's going to get a lot of minutes. If you can get that, build him up over six, 12, 18 months, perfect. You can even bring another striker in as well and have that, you know, competition. But yeah, I, I think that was promising. More than anything, that he's already on the bench, he's already playing. And that is, uh, yeah, as we said, he is second choice striker now because it does look as if. GG is going to get his move before the window closed. Apparently, he was at Lanks down today uh, to collect the rest of his stuff before flying to Atlanta to, to move to MLS. He had to come back and get his uh, big inflatable green ball. Um, so That yeah. works better if you could show the gif you put in the group chat. <laughs> you made that joke. Don't know, don't know what you're talking about. Um, anything else you want to say about the performance against Dundee United? No, I, I think it was a performance like many we've seen, whereas you kind of get a feeling that ah, it's not quite clicking yet. But at the same time, it's an utterly dominant performance. And it's a, it is because 
the players are following destruction and following the system and the system against this kind of viciousness is so overwhelming to a certain degree no matter like there's few things in there like we're not happy with but that's the story of the season really you know um maybe it comes back to what you said there graham in terms of the defense and how unthreatened i feel Celtic have been for the whole season and we think okay it's not working quite as it should offensively but it's working offensively in terms of the defensive job that system is doing so i think it's just another game in that mold among uh, a long line of it essentially it's the reason why Celtics nine point clear because mm. they've managed to dominate those teams in terms of the way that range has happened dominate everyone so we're going to play a little game do a little thought experiment thinking about squads for next season's Champions League Touchwood um, we have a squad of 25 we can pick, but there are parameters. If you've ever played football manager, you'll be only too aware of what these parameters are. We have to have uh, four players uh, that basically from the club, from uh, Celtic. Uh, over over the age of 21, they need to have uh, trained for three years before the age of 21. And four players, the same kind of criteria, but in Scotland. So that could be Kevin Nisbet, yeah. for example. You, you need eight of them, but at least four of them have to be club trained. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. So what we're going to do? I'm just going to take a 25 minute, a 25 man squad from you, and that's, then that's we'll, the squad. That yeah. The squad. And then we'll apply the parameters to it. So we'll, we'll probably have to remove some players because I don't think we're going to be able to fit every player that we want in with those parameters because we just don't have enough Celtic trained or association trained players uh, at the club at the moment. So. Yeah, and you need to have two goalkeepers, so I think it's probably best to start there. We obviously have the B list as well, and that's players that don't get included at all. So that would be players like Toby, Toby O, the goalkeeper, can never yeah, so, pronounce his last name. So the B list is anybody who will be born on the 1st of January 2001 or earlier that has been at the club for at least two years, or if they've been on loan for a period of three years. But yeah, it's essentially under 21 being on the club for two years. Yeah, so that would be so that that would be even Boston Lowell. Yeah, that's actually be Leo Labada as well next season. Leo Labada will be for next season. Next season only, he can be on the B list. If so Leo Labada, we get, a, we get yeah. a freebie of Leo Labada. Right, let's start with the goalkeepers. So we've got three goalkeepers that are of uh, age, <laughs> and we also have Connor Hazard, which I'm assuming he's not going to be there next year. And we've also got Barkas Barke, yes, Barke. So we need at least two of them in your 25-man squad. Who are you taking? So, I think the only three you, you can be taking is Hart, Seacrest, and Bain. Obviously, Bain is association trained, so he counts towards the eight. So he, like I said, the way I looked at this is like, okay, you got 25 in the squad. But essentially, you got 17 of people you brought in that doesn't fit any of the club association or B-list criteria. So it's those mm-hmm. kind of 17. And for the two goalkeepers, you essentially using your two spaces. You got Hart and Seagrist. And that kind of comes back to you know, the Seagrist move. Because had Seagrist been at least association trained, um, you could see it. But he's counting towards what one of 17 was going to be very sparse places. So you could have been fine with Hart, Bain, and Oliver Yemi, really. That that can. So what about that for next year? 
I mean, that, that means you get you get Toby for free and you get Bane as your... I mean, to be honest, like, when we go, you might have to cut secrets out. Yeah. I mean, we could do if, it if, if we the power. Yeah. Yeah, fine. So... So what do well, you want to do? I'll tell you what. I, I only really counted 16 uh, across. I was going to keep a couple of spaces for people to bring in. But okay, heart pain in Olivia Yemi. Okay, but so heart pain on the list. But this is, this is the thing, though, because Olivia Yemi doesn't even count, right? Yep. So... Essentially, to have three goalkeepers, I think you need three goalkeepers in that squad. I don't even know if you can put Olivier as one of them. Is is if you see what I mean? You, you, I went to you, UFA.com you know, okay. and it says it said that you you only need to have two goalkeepers. Okay, so Hart so and Bain. Like, there you go. So Hart and Bain, that's the first two, and Toby on the B list. Okay, yeah, I mean, you don't have to put the people on the B list in the squad. Even you can, they can just play. Yeah, yeah, you can just play as well. Yes. So I guess I guess we go for two left backs now. Who, who would your two left backs be? Well, Obviously, we've got the two that we've, we know at the moment, and we've got Montgomery, which well, would be counted. So obviously, you have who's association trained, so he he doesn't count towards the same thing. And then you have you also got another weird signing in this sense, Liam Scales, because he he's got. You can't put him in the squad because he'll take up one of those 17 spots. Yeah. So you do have then Burnaby. I think you probably need to have him as a backup left back uh, as well. So he will count 17. But I think the good thing is Adam Montgomery is club trained. He, he obviously he's he he but he would also be on the B list anyway. But you know if he's born in 2002, but I think that goes to show that in another ideal scenario here you, you have. You know, Adam Montgomery in two, three years will be your backup left back because he's he's club trained, and instead of having a Liam Scales in there, for example, you know, no harm intended, or you know, a secret still goalkeepers. I think the squad kind of focuses you might, but mm-hmm. it's Taylor and Burnaby for me, and then you have Montgomery on on the B list. And just to clarify, we'll say no Barky, no Barky. No Barky. Okay. No Barky. Right. Sad. Sad Barky. Yeah, it's got years left on his contract. I'm going to list down the players that are senior members of the squad that are not going to make this, and we can that, that can make, maybe be a discussion at the end of it, because it's going to be quite a long list. Uh, two right-backs. Well, as a stand, um, Anthony Johnston. Uh, Anthony, I don't know <laughs> again. I don't know again. Uh, <laughs> Alistair Johnston. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously taking one of those 17 places. And then uh, Tony Ralston. Right. You need them in there, mm-hmm. to be honest, because otherwise, if you bring in another right back now, yeah, that's going to take up another space, right? So, um, and Juranovic and Ralston was that case, but you are now in terms of Champions League next season. Alistair Johnson, Alistair Johnson, <laughs> he needs to he needs to be that right back we want him to be because if nothing else, is is taking up Juranovic's space in the squad. As in, you know, uh, one of those 17. So, yeah, uh, Alistair Johnson and Anthony Ralston. The only other thing you could try to do is find an SPFL, young SPFL right back that you'd be happy signing from another or, SPFL team. Or Stephen O'Donnell. Shout out to Indugan. So, you could, because mm-hmm. he'd be club uh, association trained. So. Moving swiftly on. <laughs> so, that takes us probably four centre backs, I would imagine, for your first go at this list. Centre backs, again, kind of. Puts this in, like, highlights this kind of dilemma Celtic have because yeah, CCV Starfield could be actually, but that's that's taking up three spots mm-hmm. in terms of those seventeen. Stephen Welsh, like, 
I don't think he wants to be Celtic's fourth choice centre back, but you need another. What? You, you can't really bring in a fourth centre back now, I think. That is not either club or SSO, association trained. So, uh, I mean, what you have in the background is obviously you've got Boz and Lowell and Dane Murray, who will be on the B list. So, ideally, you bring in Lowell and Murray. And, and well, I think, to be honest, well, I think that's that would do. I think the three centre backs, Lowell and Murray, will be your fourth choice in the Champions League. And then Stephen Welsh can you've also, play somewhere else. You've also got Iwata. So you would have those three centre backs, Iwata and the two exactly. youngsters. So, right. I will, so, I, will, I will be bringing in Iwata as well. So, yeah. Uh, Alright, so that's Welsh on to the shit list, I'm going to call it. No. <laughs> nice life in Serie A. That's my understanding. <laughs> and we're, we're highlighting Low and Murray. Murray's six foot four. It's like when you, when you like, uh, sing books and stuff, you, you tell the kids the dog has gone to the butterfly farm or something. That's mm-hmm. where that's where Stephen Welsh is going. It's just Serie A. So. Shame, shame. So we're, we're we're taking a chance there, but I think it's it's merited. Yeah, though, I mean, CCV and Starfield missed a lot of the Champions League campaign this season, and we started Jens and uh, Welsh and Leipzig, but we're taking that chance. So that moves us into the, the middle of the park. Let's start with our sixes, our two number sixes. Who are we going to go for here? Oh, yeah, McGregor and Ivata, obviously. Um, and then Hotate and... Hotate, Hatate, and and O'Reilly, and then this is where it gets interesting for me. Like because you have players like Moy, um, obviously Idiguchi's in there, but I'm looking at this and I go, and I think this is what I kind of hinted towards earlier in the transfer window. Like, like you already have in terms of players, midfield players that needs to. Count to the most of 17 players. Hatate, O'Reilly, Ivata. Right. Well, I guess I'm asking is, is there space for an Aaron Moy in there? What I'm saying is like Aaron Moy's place in the squad needs to be playing, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the alternative is that you can bring in James McCarthy because he's association trained to Hamilton. Fucking <laughs> Blake. So, so he doesn't count towards that that seventeen. But again, he goes. Okay, you already got McGregor plus three, and uh, uh, David Turnbull as well because he's association trained. So, he so Turnbull goes, goes in. Turnbull goes in because you know he'll fill it up to to twenty five. But does someone like Aaron Moy goes in? But then again, go if if you go out and buy another, say Aaron Moy replacement, um, he's, he's probably not going to be association trained or club trained. Like it's definitely not going to be club train. So, and it's probably, so yeah, I think you need to keep Aaron Moy in there as a placeholder, specifically. And if if you can identify another number eight to come in, yeah, I think you give him Aaron Moy's spot in there. But, you know, this, this discussion about O'Reilly or, or at least Turnbull or Moy, when the Champions League squad next season, if, if both are still there, David Turnbull will automatically be in, but Aaron Moy won't because, mm-hmm. he, well, Aaron Moy will kind of, Quote unquote, have to earn his place more because David Turnbull's, you know, we need him to take up one of the eight places outside of 17. So that's what kind of really brings into this, into stark contrast for me in terms of, and I probably haven't thought too much about it. It's like you need those 17 spots in that squad to be players that are really, really pushing for the first team or are like, has a really bright future, like someone like, oh, uh, 
because you can't have squad players as as in the derogatory meaning of squad players mm. among those 17 you just can't I mean uh, we seem to have just got to a stage where there's there's no I don't think there's a single SPFL player we'd be happy bringing in there's no there's no mid, there's no I think I um Gal was speaking about it on a pod the other day like your Hartleys your Barry Robsons that we could go to another club and just bring in to fill a position in the squad which is there's no one available I mean the other one that would have been possible and I don't think in, in 95% of the Celtic fans would have liked it, it would have been Lewis Ferguson. Yes, that's it. I think you need to like, then Then it goes into discussion about, do you need to take chances on younger talent that just breaking through and spending two, three, four million on them? And maybe you just have to do that at some point and trust that they're going to develop and they get the playing time. But I think it's the only way you can do it. I don't think there's, if, you know, it might be a little exception to this, but see once players are 23, 24, 25 and they're playing for another Scottish club, just Celtic be bringing them in, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, even in terms of Greg Taylor, I guess it's like the last example, but he was still 22 Raw. when he came in. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's, it's, he happened to get a manager that really fitted the system, but had you got another manager who wanted your fullbacks to do something completely different, you know, it might have been the same for him, but it's, you know, it's probably would have been okay as well to be honest but if it's the system so perfectly so unless you get something like that yeah it's it's difficult to see so I've got us down using 10 of those 17 spots so far Um, yeah uh, again comes back to what we hark on every single week pathways 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 if Ben Summers looks as if he's going to be good enough we need to start giving him games so we can rely on our own youth youth players to kind of help us with this list because it's going to be hard going forward um, left wing and this is where a controversial with a lot of fans choice would come in for me Mikey Johnson fulfills just just all the all the wings because there's three there you have to you have to you have to give three of those spaces to Joe Maeda and Haxibanovich if they're all still there like just then next season you, you get a little bit lucky because there's the one season as I understand the regulations that Abada is on the B list because he's still under he was born in October 2001 and at that point he's been on the club for two years so it's mm. the one season you could put the bad on the list so you get a little grace period next season but then season after that obviously he would qualify and then as you say Mikey Johnson like I, I think you would maybe need to keep him because mm-hmm. if you want an alternative on the wing because and this is maybe part of the reason why James Forrest is still there is James Forrest there to have a small contribution now but he's not taking up a space. James Forrest is a squad player in that sense, but it's not taking up a space of somebody else, right? Who's like a first team player because he's not because he's club trained. Michael Johnson as well. Uh, I, I think you have to look at all that. And in my kind of list, you probably have one more space. You could technically buy one winger and give it space to Michael Johnson, but. I think you might have to integrate Michael Johnson a bit more in the team, especially if James Forrest's input is going to be less and at least have him as part of the squad so you can have enough players really in that. So, yeah, Michael Johnson would be in my squad. Another one is, is Rocco Vata. Obviously, he'll be on the B list mm-hmm. and having him as part of it would be good. Him and Abad will be on the B list and he, he can play and he can contribute. But, yeah, it's uh, Jota, Maeda, Hexpanovic, Forrest and Johnston for me and then Abad and Vata on the, on the B list. So Jim Bag goes on as well. He is uh, homegrown. Yep. Yep. So that's us at 
13 out of the 17, I think, according to my calculations. So we have strikers left. So who are we going to So Kyogo, obviously, first. Kyogo and all, uh, both will be on that list. And then, I mean, that brings up up to 15, if we've taken Seagrest away. So you imagine then, yeah, another striker. So I, essentially, you've got 15 now. And the way, if you're going to bring in players in the summer, okay, you can talk about where would you realistically bring in a player that can fit into those 17s. I think we talked about Moy. Do you bring in another number eight? Do you push Moy out? You could do. But other than that, okay, Seagrass, you push Seagrass out with Bain. Other than that, I don't really see, I think you need, unless you're going to go and buy a new left back and not play Burnaby, but I think you give at least another year. Mm. You've got your three centre backs. Like, are you going to bring in, bring in a fourth centre back? I don't think so. We've got Ivata there. And, you know, okay, if you sell Jotla, for example, Alex Ivanovich, I don't think you will, but Omeida, you would have to bring one in. But if they're all there, you only got two spaces, you, like in terms of for new players to come in. And even if you bring in two players, you're still saying to players like Barkas, Yogidi, Scales, Liam Shaw, Ismail Soro, Albion Yeti, like it's just going to be another season alone unless we can sell you because we can't have you in the squad. Really? So it, it kind of leaves two spots open. And that is if you, you punt Seagrest out, which probably won't be too happy with. Yeah, I can't see. For our list, I think it would be good to do that, but I think Seagrest is going to be on it. So I think that's... Yeah, so I, realistically, you got... One once. space. And to say, like, goalkeeper discussion, for example, if you bring in a new goalkeeper, I don't think Joe Hart is staying. So it's like one in, one out, essentially. Mm-hmm. I, talk, I know I talk about replacing Aaron Moy a lot. Like, sorry. But if you bring in a number, another number eight, Unless O'Reilly or Hatati goes, it's kind of my spot because Turnbull is Turnbull doesn't count to those something. Ivata is just in the door; he might need him for a centre back as well. So if you bring in another midfielder, you kind of go: is, is there space for Aaron Moy in there? If everybody else in, so and then ideally, would you maybe want another striker in? Like we talk about True maybe coming in. Okay, there, there's a spot for him there, but yeah, there's not a lot. So the way things are at the moment, we've got a 22-man squad. We have got players like uh, Abada, Lowell, Murray, Adam Montgomery, Toby O on the B list. Uh, we could have Welsh staying. I don't know if that would happen, but Welsh could. there's a spot for Welsh there if we, if we want it. It's a spot for McCarthy as well. Uh, probably going to be moving Seagrass back on our list to to because I can't imagine the club will let him go. I mean, the, the you could you could probably see something like us selling us moving Hart on and maybe us moving Bain on this summer and bringing in a new goalkeeper. So this, I, I mean, this wasn't easy, but I more think that I kind of like it. I kind of do like that it, it forces uh, almost a, a ruthlessness in mm-hmm. terms of organizing your squad. You know, on, on the last transfer committee, um, how we did the game, it's like we did a 28-man squad, you know, two players for each position, like, and they should be almost almost, I say, almost as good as each other. They, sh- they should both be able to step in and challenge each other for it. Like you got 22. And then you have like six more players and reserved kind of for I would say like veterans like Forrest maybe 
you know, young players coming up, getting a few minutes, but and and then maybe some like even a player like Gigi has a very specific skill set you can bring in. You know, they're not a like for like number two striker to do the what the first striker can do, but they can bring in something else. So I get you six spots so that's a twenty-eight. That kind of fits, I guess, nicely into the Champions League squads of twenty-five. Because within that we have some homegrown and stuff like that. But even narrowing it down to okay, you got 17 players. You can only you should only really have 17 players in your squad that does not fulfill either being club trained, association trained, or B list. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's I, I think that actually be quite a good way to organizing a squad. You know, 17 quote unquote foreign players. That's essentially what you're talking about. To have to have that. And you shouldn't if you had that, hopefully that would not not have that kind of indiscipline almost of going and buying squad players, as I say, in the derogatory sense of the word. Um you know, sorry to pick them, but like Liam Scales, James McCarthy, Eurogides, Shaw, Soros, if we go a bit further back, maybe like I guess you don't intend these to be squad players, but it shows the importance of, especially when you then go out and buy outside of that bracket of club association trained that you need to do your due diligence and you you know you have to give yourself every chance of making those buys a success because they're going to pick up very valuable spots in the, the Champions League squad. So with our squad, we would have uh, two two places left to to give to uh, foreign players uh, on the the likely squad that we see. And uh, as long as there's no other transfers out, we we'll probably have one position left. What would you? What kind of? So it's just say we go by the one, and we're not going to use any of the current players that are at the squad that we've not included in the list so far. What position do you think would need? further backup would it be that central midfield position to make sure you've got like a f- fifth man about there or or in this case it'd be a seventh man or would it be up front make sure that you've got something something there I think it comes down to how good always I think he's pretty good if Mayeda stays you can have another striker I think it would be good if that's the case yeah I think central midfielder I think, okay, anyone in out for the goalkeeper, we're kind of not looking at that. To be honest, right back. You know, that's, that is honestly, as we said, I think there are signs with Johnson that he can do something, but I'd want somebody challenging him. Mm -hmm. That is maybe a slightly more can do, be a bit natural fit for the role. And I know that means. Tony Riles now, but I mean, he'd be part of the squad anyway because he's club trained, so he doesn't do the same thing. But for me, I don't think you're going to get another right back, right? I think in the summer, you're probably going to look at a goalkeeper, a central midfielder, maybe another striker, and replacing... Replacing who those? Essentially, a key player that goes. But if you, if you keep the same squad, you would go... I think you go goalkeeper first, yeah. and then central midfielder. And then, you know, maybe a right back if the right one came up. But... Yeah, that's probably just me, to be honest. Not to uh, worry you, Christian, but there's a beast behind you. Um, yeah. Hopefully it's my cat. Yeah, yeah. No, it just jumped. Otherwise so... this pod is going <laughs> to end short. 
to run through the squad that we've chosen for taking us into the Champions League 23-24 is Joe Hart and Bain as our goalkeepers, Greg Taylor and Bernabe as our left-backs, Johnson and Rauchops as our right-backs, CCB Starfelt and Kobayashi as our only centre-backs on the proviso that Evata and Low and Murray could be the, the, the backups in that position. Mm-hmm. McGregor, Iwata, Hatate, Matt O'Reilly, David Turnbull and Moy in the central midfield positions. Jota Maeda, Haksabanovic, Mickey Johnson, Jim Bag on the wings and Kyogo and O up front with space in our squad for two further additions that wouldn't need to be association or club trained. And on the kind of, um, I'll call it, I would call it, yeah, 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 I'll call it something else. Uh, we have going out, not included in, in European football would be Connor Hazard, Liam Scales, Benjamin Sigrist, uh, No Barke, Albina Yeti. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, Stephen Welsh, the Gutschmeister, uh, Abogard, James McCarthy, Liam Shaw, Ismail Asaro, and Yurigide. That's a lot of money that we're wasting on players that we can't even play in Europe. It goes back to what we saw. Like, you see for those in that 17 spots, you need to give yourself every chance of getting it right because otherwise you end up with this, essentially. You have to buy other ones and then essentially have uh, assets, I guess, you can't even play in Europe. Yeah, you stockpile them and they're not not exactly going to be wanted by in many other clubs. Uh, but hopefully Sorrow can, can get a move. I like his, I like his cheeky grin. So, Slay. Sorrow Slay. Remember that? Yeah. A bright spot in a dark time. Yeah. So, yeah. And we have our 15-minute warning from Claire, which means I will move swiftly on to some news stories that I've uh, highlighted over the last week or so. There is... Talk, and it's from the, the Darvell boss, actually. And he thinks uh, Celtic and Rangers are plotting a voting carve-up to make an SPF, uh, SPFL3 uh, and putting their B-teams in it. So this is obviously something... It's, it's right, SPFL2? I'm guessing the, 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 guessing the reference is like Championship would be S- SPFL2. I don't know. But... Okay. Um, I mean, I'm I'm all for it. Is is that what uh, the Darrell mantra is as well? How how how, how, how did he get into this? Like he, he does one rehearsed speech in the dressing room, and he, you know, you he, allowed you to say something, Darrell coach says the I, podcaster. Um, yeah, this was even before the Aberdeen game that he made this comment. So what? he didn't even have his. He wasn't even in a high horse at this stage. But he is he's unhappy with it, obviously. But he's unhappy with something that isn't happening. He's unhappy. Well, he he thinks it is. He thinks it's a conspiracy for it to happen. But hopefully, hopefully Christian, there's a conspiracy for it to happen. <laughs> hey, at least, you know, no lack of conspiracies. Scottish football, as we mm-hmm. know. So uh, why shouldn't Celtic have one? How That's important do you think this could be for us? Like, so, so just say it's League One level that they start off at. What what do you think would be the tangible impact on your youth development of ha- of them having the ability to play against the teams the likes of in League One and then hopefully moving up to the Championship? Uh, I think we're actually talking about the youth players. And I think if you can give... I don't, I don't even think in 1920, I think if we get to that stage, it should be hopefully be knocking on the first team door, but I think 16, 17-year-olds be able to give them that matching 
that of competitive football. And you know, we've talked a lot about Bayern Munich, you know, stealing, uh, stealing, uh, Celtic players, and you know, every single league outside England and Scotland has their second team in lower tiers, and it is not for the like 19, 20 years and uh, you know, in the squad for it is guys like Liam Morrison, you know, who went to to Bayern Munich and he got a path and then hit 17, 18. You play, you know. Compared to the football, I think there's a sense of then also how much gain are you going to get playing League One football? Because again, not an expert on the third and fourth team in Germany, but I can imagine that is it, there is a sense of you know the playing style matches what the first team wants you to, and, and there's not you know if you think it's agricultural and the Premiership at times, oh, League One. You know, mm. I've, I've been in, and I've been to a few championships games this season for Air United, and Christ Almighty! I mean, it's not great. So even if you put, even if you had the championship team, there's going to be, you know, always. I think that would be good. But you even you even see players going out on loans, you know, Tilipin going out alone in championship clubs and in Premiership clubs, and so much to do with what kind of team you're playing. And what kind of team you're facing and the style of football rather than just if it's the second or third team. Always you don't want it on the fifth tier. I think that's pretty much useless. So yeah, there's a benefit moving it to the third tier or if the conspiracy is good enough, second tier. Um, But you also need Scottish football to kind of I was going to say just get into the 21st century, really. But yeah, the, I'm, all, I'm all for it. I'll happily head up that conspiracy if that's something I can help solve. So. I mean, but do you think there would be more of a, more of a help to the, the youth players to maybe even have a have like a, a British B team league where they could play against the likes of the younger Man City on a regular basis? You know, not just having these wee yeah. tournaments every now and again. I mean, I guess the Premier League two is a pretty good like. Training ground for, for for talents, but I think again it's seventeen eighteen. You kind of get feeling that you know a lot of players go out on loan from, from the top Premier League clubs go out on loan when they're like kind of eighteen nineteen, more than that. But yeah, I, maybe you could just, whatever you can do to do that, I could, it's like you have the Brentford B team for example. You kind of go out and do training games more than anything like that. So you kind of need to, to find a good enough matching for it. But yeah, as you know. Uh, anything to bring the union closer together, I guess, Graham, is what you're trying to say there. Is that what you're... Yeah, I mean, if we're going to be in the union, we as well getting something from it, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, like freedom of movement. Yeah. Uh, I've just seen like, Man City giving the minutes to that, is it Rico Henry? Um, and just... I think when, when it comes to... And this is a, a stupid analogy because it's a, it's a video game, but when it comes to a football manager, like... Bringing up youth players is my favourite thing to do in the game, and it just always uh, like hurts me to my soul that Celtic are so bad at doing it. Well, yeah, and so it's Rico Lewis. Uh, I Rico Henley is oh, a very good uh, Brentford uh, left back. Uh, make, make some of Rico's always yeah, do that. All, all the Rico's, so too many Rico's, <laughs> really. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, again, a whole other discussion. But Celtic's youth team, A, should be producing better players, but also. They should be more integrated, integral part of the squad, and they should be given a lot more minutes that 
you know, essentially now I've given to score player status. Both it comes back to those set seat. If you bind those seventeen, quote unquote, foreign players, but you know, as I said, I have happily have a team full of foreign players. It doesn't bother me a lot. But even looking at it, you know, cold heartedly, you need that youth academy to produce players to be able to fill up the squad and to be and buying in Scottish talents. But yes, you need to give. Players like say Rogobata, Boston Laurel, Demery, the minutes that you might feel more comfortable giving to a 29, 30 year old squad player. Mm. That is there. Yeah. So it, that's where it comes back to. You, you need to run the club that way. It's not Ange's responsibility at all, to be honest. He, he's, you know, he didn't bring up Ben Summers uh, from the Youth Academy to give him. Say Aaron Moist minutes or stuff like that because he he needs somebody to contribute and at the high level straight away. But if that was the ethos of the club over a decade or twenty years, I think you produce better players, and you might actually get youth players that you find are ready to step up and can do the minutes that you know. See when Todd Murchick left, or you bring Aaron. Ange feel he needs to bring Aaron Moy in, in instead of he doesn't have another player in the squad that can fill those minutes and an exciting young player to, to do that. And that's, that's what you want. That's what you need. Speaking of exciting young players, Dylan Reed, Sipman Academy star that we have quoted and been KB'd by, uh, he has been linked with a six-figure switch to Crystal Palace. Obviously, if we, if we were kind of uh, looking to make sure that we get the best from Champions League squads going forward. Signing players at 17 would mean by the time they get to 20, they would be integrated as a, a full-blown member of the Celtic trained uh, list on the Champions League, which is exactly what you want to be having. Six figures for someone like Dylan Reid. Is that too rich for our blood to be signing 17-year-olds? Are they going to be not near the first team for maybe a year or two? Or do you think that that's exactly the kind of market we should be operating and making, getting these young players, the best of Scotland, even if it yeah. does cost us 500 grand at that time? Yeah, I, I think so. Obviously, um, you know, I think something I've tried to make Dylan Reid come before, but if it takes half a million to get him at 16, if it takes a million to get Callum Ramsey at 16, no, it's not pocket change. For like Celtic, but it is an investment. And if if you pick, for example, you pick Calvin Ramsey up, Josh Joyk, uh, Aaron Hickey up at fifteen, sixteen, you're probably able to do that. And then, but the other part of it is, it's not just Celtic. Okay, should Celtic put a bigger chunk of the transfer budget to try and buy those Scottish talents? For me, yes, they should. But. People talk, is that a risk? Is that a risky way of spending money? Well, it is if you don't have a path for them, right? Mm. If you're just hoovering up without a, a clear plan, unless clear, it's like the club is run along those lines that, you know, certain minutes, certain spots in this squad needs to be youngsters and they need to be in career built. And you can't buy any other, say, foreign players that will go above those 17 and have that. Yeah. So it's not that risky to spend that much more money if you have a plan for them. But if you don't have a plan, yeah, I mean, there's more chance of just spending your money on something else. I mean, but you did. But I, I, I like Bernabe, for example. I, I think he can 
become a really good one. But you did spend three and a half million on somebody who's not playing. He's his second choice left back. Mm. And you didn't trust him to play in the derby. And you played the right back instead of him. So, I mean, is that so different than, than bringing in, say, Josh Joyg and not trusting me in the derby, but he cost you a lot less and he mm. doesn't fill up, put up a squad? I mean, that's not specific against Burnaby, but he's, he's an example of that. Let's, uh, let's end in a quick question because we're running out of time here. But when it comes to the, the attractiveness for, from a player's point of view, Dylan reads uh, getting kind of bench time at St. Mung, getting near the first first team squad. That young, I can't remember the boy's name, Dundee United plus 16 year old that was on the bench for them and came on against us uh, on Sunday. What is more appealing to you, that? Or being in the Celtic B team in the Championship, the Scottish Champ, so the, the tier below. What do you think would be more appealing to to a player, like starring yeah. for Celtic B team in the Championship? I, I, I think it comes back to see if yeah, if you have that B team, and you have a clear path up to the to the first team, and this is you know your steps you need to hit, and you got the infrastructure, the training facilities, the money. That comes through playing for Celtic. Yeah, I think having a team in, in, in the championship would be a big help. And I think I think Germany is the third tier. I think Norway is the third tier, is the highest. I think Spain is like the second tier, some of them. Mm. Because maybe I'm making a third tier, but yeah, I, at least if you had something like that, it would be an easier sell, you know. But it says that you need to bring everything else in there as well, in, in terms of the pathway and the actual commitment to play that those players as well so that'll do us for this week on yeah, the review uh, i got, got a question for you what's that that's right uh do you think it was a penalty which one the first one something do you think it was a penalty no i did not i did okay. not yeah. i just just canvassing opinions <laughs> I, I don't have any strong opinions uh for it so. sure when I when I saw when I saw <laughs> given I was so surprised because I don't think I've ever seen that type of penalty given for us um, but yeah it was the, the thing that annoyed me the most about it was and I looked back at the timing it was about two seconds under three minutes it took from the penalty award to him waving it away and he just stood in the middle of the park like this glacet guy listening to his earpiece and I'm just like there must be something there must be some kind of rule that they don't just go and look at the TV right away. It, surely, for me, it should be like the, the video assistant referee says, okay, this is a tricky one, you, you should come and see this. Straight away, within the first five seconds. When, when, when the video assistant referee can see it's not clear cut, just get the ref over there, just get them over right away. But that's three minutes, it just... It I, just like, I, I don't get it either. Like, we didn't do this last time, but I, I took for like the, the FA penalty, you know, last time. I, I took down the times, like the incident... Was at twelve thirty one. They stopped the play at thirteen thirty six because obviously the ball goes out of play. Then it takes two minutes and sixteen seconds before he's told to go to the monitor. So they already had a minute to line up the replay. You get two minutes before you tell him, "Can you go and check that?" See if you can't tell within ten seconds. Yeah, get him to check it. That is, you know. It, you shouldn't even have to wait. Surely, I don't exactly the mechanics of this, but surely if, if you have something, you have this technology to go, okay, there was an incident there. Let's have a look at that before the mm. ball goes out of the play. And it, it should be clear and obvious error. And that's the part of the frustration thing is obviously when when they tell the 
referee to go to the monitor. They should only really do that if the VAR thinks it's a Crayonobius error. But it's it's like the saying, oh, after looking at this for two minutes, we think it might be a penalty. But it's not a Crayonobius error then, is it? Because yeah, if, yeah. if you haven't been able to tell within 10 seconds, I, I, I honestly think there should be a time limit on VAR if you absolutely mm-hmm. have to have it. See, if you can't tell within 10 seconds of looking at replays, that is a clear and obvious error. Just go with the referee's decision. I, I, even even offside, I, you know. So yeah, it's opinion. frustrating. I mean, I was I was slightly tipsy in Leipzig, but I can't remember any of the decisions. It felt as if the ref ran to the screen right away and uh, in the Champions League games. But it's just it's one of the things that we're doing really badly. And it I just, think it's going to end up in muscle injuries for players because they're standing about waiting for this to happen and then they have to start playing football again. Yeah, I know you need. I know you want to see a couple of different angles but even the fact that you see it in slow motion doesn't make sense to me because you're not reffing it in slow motion yeah but again if you can't see it it's like just saying do we have a case here at all if you bend the rules if you look at the rules in certain way yeah maybe you do but it should never take you more than 20 seconds to see a clear and obvious error it just shouldn't because then it's not clear or obvious (laughs) okay that'll do us Christian it's been an absolute pleasure it's a pleasure because it's all mine as always, you know, obviously I'll have you have a few more times before you go on your road trip to Norway. So I think we're going to have to build that into the bad section every, yeah. every week now. I can, my detailed plans, etc. I'm just saying uh, that Saudi Arabia have appointed a former Man City CEO as the new executive president of Saudi Pro League and they want to make it the best league in the world. So that's something to look forward to. Still time for Gigi, if you, you know, to yeah. go over there. Yeah, for the oil money. I'll have I'll him be- over in Alderman, I think. I just want to say that. I'm in Grim McKay, and we will catch you down the road.